well, well, well. Episode 30 of the Bad Buddhism Podcast with your host, Anthony Boyd. So I have two juicy topics to discuss today. We're going to be talking about free will, or at least from my perspective, I think that free will is an illusion. But I'm going to be balancing my assessment. I'm going to try to be balancing my assessment of free will because it's not really a topic I spent much time on. But of course, I'm going to be using some resources to help me out and to help formulate my thoughts in a clear manner. Right. Or at least to find to, to follow uh, uh, a specific track um, of logic so that we can get through this topic. But we're going to be covering free will and we're going to be discussing censorship some more because it seems to me that um this topic of censorship is a lot more nuanced and complicated than a lot of people a lot of the content creators uh uh let on right i think that this this topic of censorship is is philosophical in nature because there are many different mechanisms at work and there are many different things to take into consideration. We have technology, we have human nature. We have so many different things at work when it comes to the topic of censorship. And all of this uh, discussion about free speech kind of dovetailed into me thinking about free will, right? What What is freedom? What do we consider freedom, right? So we're gonna be talking about those two things and um, it's going to be, it might be a long one. I'm going to actually be honest and say that it might be a long one. So just sit back, relax, and um, enjoy the podcast. Be right back. just now i pulled up two definitions of free will one from oxfordlearnersdictionaries.com and one from lexico.com uh i pulled up two different definitions or you know two different websites so that we can get a working definition of what free will is so from oxford the definition states the power to make your own decisions about what to do without being controlled by God, fate, or circumstances. Hmm. And from lexico.com, the power of acting without the constraint of necessity or fate, the ability to act at one's own discretion, right? So we have those two definitions of free will. So I'm just going to start off right, right at the bat and say, I don't believe that we have free will you know there's too many mechanisms there's too many laws of physics too many universal laws in general for us to think that we have free will but you don't have to take my word for it i have pulled up some help from our friend daniel meisler at danielmeisler.com got one of his articles he's a huge proponent of um i guess 
not believing that there's free will. So I guess he supports he supports my 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 point of view. But this article creates a discussion, I think a fairly balanced discussion around free will. So this article and I'm going to post all of these articles in the description and you can uh, read them for yourself if you're interested, because I'm just going to be reading little bits and pieces of it to get my point across. So this um, article is named Free Will's Absurdist Paradox, How Camus Absurdism Unifies Compatibilism and Incompatibilism. Okay, so the article starts off saying, philosophers and scientists have been debating the concept of free will for centuries. While there are many nuances and subtleties, there are generally three main positions. Nice. So we have three main positions that we're able to look at when it comes to free will. Right. We 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 don't have to uh, uh, dilly dally and beat around the bush and uh, make up our own definitions and whatever the case may be. And this is why I like using articles, because there's people that have been thinking about this for way longer than I have. Um, I really I'm really new at the topic of free will um, as far as discussing it, um, because it's not something that me, a person that's more of a type A uh, personality likes to think about. But I think that, you know, I guess I'm intellectually mature enough to kind of say, all right, look, let's look past all of that uh, uh, type A controlling of my own destiny, me believing that I control my own destiny to actually look at what uh, scientists and philosophers have been saying for, I don't know, maybe hundreds, thousands of years, right? So the three categories that we have is uh, that Daniel Meisler listed in this article is libertarian free will, which is the idea that we have complete free will that is not significantly determined by our makeup or our surroundings. Basically, our choices are our own and physics and environment might have an influence, but don't ultimately determine anything. Most modern believers in libertarian free will believe in a supernatural God that gave them this freedom. So I think I used to be more of a, a libertarian free will type of guy where, you know, I thought that, yeah, we have free will and, you know, we could do pretty much whatever we want. And the decisions that we make, you know, is solely up to us. And the quality of the decisions is basically up to, I guess, how intelligent we are, which is another which is another philosophical nuanced discussion that we can get into at some point, but not right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I had I since shifted from there because, you know, after going to school, studying physics, studying psychology uh, and and the way that technology is studying the brain and the way that it interacts with technology or vice versa, you can kind of, you know, start to move away. You could kind of like discard libertarian free will. You kind of discard that even it's even though that's kind of ironic. It's kind of ironic when I said in my last episode that if people feel like they're being censored, they can just pack up and go to other platforms to speak their message. Right. So I hope the sound is right on this because I just got a pop filter and I'm speaking far away from the mic, trying not to um, disturb it or what have you. But I hope the sound is good. I didn't really test it out too much, but let's continue. 
So we have libertarian free will. And the next on the list is compatibilists, which believe the world is deterministic, meaning that outcomes are ultimately determined by a set of initial conditions combined with laws of physics, which likely include randomness. But they believe we can still have free will within this deterministic framework, i.e., for example, they believe free will is compatible with determinism. Hmm. That right there, I don't really I don't really know about that one. I mean, it. I'm not going to spoil it. I, I, I think that compatibilism is. I guess it's kind of like a middle ground and even seeing how we he, he listed it here. I guess it's it's a it's a middle ground and there, there's a reason why I think it's a middle ground. Right. We can we're going to traverse through the article to to see why I, I, I say that it's a middle ground. All right. So incompatibilists also believe the universe is deterministic, but they believe that a world constrained in this way offers no room for free will. Now. Right now, I think that and it's hard for me to really place it with these three choices, because this thing called life is really, really, really interesting. That incompatibilist is kind of like where I'm the definition of incompatibilist is kind of like where I'm at right now. I was having a little random discussion with a friend yesterday and we were just talking about how you know, the randomness for how we're here. We're talking about if we just randomly playing around with the idea is if we're in a simulation and, you know, all of this stuff. And she was basically saying that, you know, it's it's weird that everybody's discussing petty little squabbles and petty little things in the news or what have you. But there's the bigger question or the bigger discussion to be had about, you know, about life, about what life is, about what reality is, what we're perceiving as reality, right? And, you know, I pointed out that we're on planet Earth, essentially a, a rock that is careening through space in a solar system that's revolving around a fireball, right? We're flying through space or whatever, wherever we're at. And nobody really, I think people take that for granted, how everything just seems to be, um, everything seems to be chaotic, but at the same time, uh, predetermined. And I guess that's where determined, the word determinism comes from, but predetermined, right? You have all of these laws of physics that's governing where the planets are placed. And then we have astrology. Then we have all these other things that come into, to, to, to play here. Right. And, and while I was, you know, writing up the notes for this podcast, I had this um, I had this thought. Right. So I'm just going to read what I wrote as for why I don't believe that we have free will. And I guess it's more so in the incompatibilist category. Right. I said we don't have free will because everything that has happened up until now has informed our decisions, location of birth, parents, astrology race, sex, etc. We live in a container that's constantly acting on us and we are only limited to the permutations of decisions that exist because of a finite set of variables we aren't conscious of. So 
that was just random bars that I came up with when I was about to fall asleep. I always have these ideas when I'm about to fall asleep. But I had that random thought because it, it just seems to me when I uh, try to reconcile what life is or I try to reconcile what reality is, it seems that there's so many things that's acting on our decision making. Right. For instance, we have uh, what you would call, um, I believe they're called food deserts in um, in the inner city. Right. Where people say, oh, yo, it's hard to get healthy food right and then we have some of us privileged folk that would say yeah no it's actually easier it's easier to eat healthy than it is to eat unhealthy or what have you but the privileged person the average privileged person that's saying that probably lives in an area where there isn't a liquor store on every corner or mcdonald's on every corner or um or or some type of fast food joint on every corner right so the logistical placements of 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 supermarkets or or restaurants or what have you informs the the residents decisions as far as their diet sources right if you have mcdonald's everywhere if you have liquor stores on every corner if you have burger king taco bell very in close proximity to each other right whereas the supermarket the 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 fruit and vegetable stores or the farmer's market if you will is kind of like out of the way where you have to drive to go get those things um you're i mean you have you pretty much have no choice you know and whether it's conscious or unconscious you're probably going to go and get the mcdonald's because it's fast food it's the quickest most convenient thing for you to do and us humans we like to do what's convenient Right. That's in our physical makeup. That's in our wiring. We're wired to avoid pain and more or less seek pleasure. Right. So those are two mechanisms that I can honestly say really just tells you that we don't have free will. Right. The, 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 the mechanism of of our uh, dopamine response system where we seek out pleasure and we avoid pain and and the way that our brain is 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 constructed is you know enough to say look we don't have free will now me being aware of that can i circumvent that and that's where we'll kind of like move on in the article because he daniel meisler discusses the importance of um or not even the importance but the effects of in my in my own words the effects of being aware of this problem of free will or lack thereof, right? So moving on, we're going to um, continue in this article. He says, most people actively debating this topic today have long rejected the libertarian possibility and are therefore discussing what's possible within a, a deterministic framework that both the compatibilist and incompatibilist agree is true. So yeah, exactly. Like I have pretty much discarded the libertarian free will um, idea. Like I, I just can't conceive that we have complete free will independent of um, the laws of the universe, right? Or, or, or God or the maker of this simulation, right? I'll give you one example, our genetics, our genes. What the fuck is that? When you have genetics that predetermines 
your uh, your personality, the diseases that you get, um, how tall you are, um, you know, if you have brown or, or green eyes or what have you, you know, and also these genetics have they they inform specific drives that any one person out of eight billion people on this planet have. You know, one person may be driven if you put eight billion people on this planet, which pretty much is the case, right? We're, we're, we're on this planet. Eight billion people are on this planet um, or close to eight billion. Everybody's going to pretty much um, if you can, I guess if you can. And this is another this is the this is the entanglement that we get into with the discussion of free will. But if you idealistically, um, hypothetically put. 8 billion people on this planet, everybody's going to converge to what their interests are, right? Whether those interests are informed by um, um, other factors, you know, it's up for discussion, which is what we're doing right now. But that's the idea. Uh, genetics. Genetics is driving us towards, is one of the factors that's driving us towards the things that we are converging on as far as our interests, right? For example, uh, what makes me uh, love to do podcasts. What makes me like to do public speaking? Why do I like public speaking? It might be in my in my in my genetics. My parents are really good at speaking. Um, my dad is on the radio. My mom is a really good writer. You know, and you know, we're just a, I guess we're just a family that's comfortable with words. You know, um, but hey, maybe it could be the complete opposite for uh, people whose parents are more introverted. Maybe parents are introverted and you know the child might be more outgoing because of you know maybe because parent the parents weren't too outgoing or outspoken and they're seeking that because because of that right so they you know form communication different communication channels with the world and become um extroverts now that's the nature versus uh nurture argument and even within that we can see that a lack of free will is at play. Did that person choose to become more outgoing um, because their parents are not outgoing? Or is it more like um, a, a, a long line of, of, of genetics at work where maybe some ancestors were more outgoing? Or is it is it um, is it just the 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 realm that we're living in now where there's so many different ways to communicate, right? You know, there's so many different angles we can approach that at. But fact of the matter is we don't have free will. So let's move on. He goes on to say, this brings us to why we care at all and continue to discuss the matter, which inevitably reduce to questions of morality. So a lot of people might be listening to this and goes, uh, who cares? Why do, why do we need to think about this? But I like to discuss ideas. As you can see, I like to discuss ideas. And why should we care about it? Um, I never heard of it being referred to or connected to morality, which we're going to probably have to dive deep into this article because that's something interesting for me. I've read this article once before, but I was more so paying attention to the different modes or beliefs around free will or lack thereof, the different modes, the libertarian free will the compatibilists and the incompatibilists or what have you. But when you're connecting it with morality, that's interesting. But other than that, um, somebody might think to themselves, why do we care? I mean, we're here, we're, we're, we're living or what have you. 
and we're having a great time or we're not having a great time. So, you know, that's where it comes down to, which I was trying to mention before with the compatibilists, where we, I'll just repeat what the compatibilists believe. Compatibilists believe the world is deterministic, meaning that outcomes are ultimately determined by a set of initial conditions combined with the laws of physics, which likely include randomness. But they believe we can still have free will within this deterministic framework, i.e. they believe free will is compatible with determinism. I guess most people listening to this might might go, oh, yeah, I, I think I'm a compatibilist because I think compatibilists and I'm just going to take a wild guess because um, I think he mentioned this in the article. But compatibilists are people that pretty much behave as if free will exists. Right. You know that you have all of these laws of the universe. We have physics. We have um, we have, you know, the laws of, of gravity. We have, you know, all of these things. But we can, you know, we can pretend like we have free will because we experience our choices and decisions as if we have free will. Right. All right. So let's let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, compatibilists have a number of powerful arguments on their side. We experience choice, therefore we have it. See, that was going back to what I was saying just now about experiencing decisions as if we as if we as if we have it, like we've experienced free will as if we have it because we made a decision to walk down one street rather than another. Right? The second point he makes is the kind of free will that we experience is the only kind that's possible. So we should stop thinking about the kinds that are impossible due to determinism. Daniel Dennett. We cannot, as humans, practically live as if we don't have free will. Believing we have free will is useful to us as a society because if we told people they didn't have free will, they would stop behaving morally. That is an interesting point right there. That is an interesting point. Believing we have free will is useful to us in, in useful to us as society because if we told people they didn't have free will, they would stop behaving morally. So let's let's drill down into that. If you were really told, like I'm telling you, that um, we don't have free will, how does that affect your behavior from a ethical or moralistic standpoint? Will you just go out and start? pretty much just doing whatever you want to do and saying, hey, I'm not actually doing whatever I want to do because I don't have free will. So I'm not responsible for the behaviors that I'm exhibiting. Right. I think that's kind of like the slippery slope. And that's another thing when it comes to and I'm going to get off on a little tangent here. I think that's another problem with the world that we're living in, with having so many people um, have access to many different modes of communication because you can build up a mode of communication to the point where you have influence. And if you misuse that influence, you can really, you can really fuck some shit up. And I think that's been the case in society for a very, very long time. Anybody that's garnered a certain amount of influence has been, um, has been, uh, well sought after to be controlled or the message to be massaged and i and i and i don't and i'm not as kind of pessimistic as a lot of people are about that because i really think that 
with great power comes great responsibility. And I saw that reflected in my time as a leader. And my time as a leader, I, you know, I was definitely influential. Every little thing I did was under a microscope, not necessarily by uh, management or some of the, the, the higher ups that I worked with within my organization, but more so the people that I was leading. You know, if 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 I behaved a certain way, they were more than likely to behave that way, too. If I thought a certain way or uh, I guess spewed a certain rhetoric, they'll be more likely to 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 exhibit or mat or or have a behavior that manifests that rhetoric. Right. And we see that with the concern about certain people getting banned or not being banned on um, certain social media platforms, you know, certain people will dog whistle and say certain things and then people will behave in a certain way. So I think that's what number four is kind of saying, right? And I'll read it again. Believing we have free will is useful to us as a society because if we told people they didn't have free will, they would stop behaving morally. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, anyway, the last point he makes about um, compatibilists' powerful arguments is... The model of humans making choices is the most useful way to describe what happens in the real world on a day to day basis. Chris Myers. Oh, that's a good point, too. If you walk around telling people they didn't make a decision and it was just um, it was just a series of events that unfolded before um, before before they were here or it's cause and effect. I mean, how is that useful? You know, how is this discussion that we're talking about right now? How is that useful? It might not be useful at all. Um, you know, you might you might think, OK, what's the point of, of, of this discussion? But like I said, I like to discuss ideas. Right. And now he breaks down the incompatibilists points. Right. And here it goes. This is going to be fun. This is the part that that I like. I like to really get to the other end of the spectrum and really say, nah, we don't have free will. We don't have free will, but I will say, I will say that it is incredibly useful to, to behave as if we do have free will. I think it's a responsible thing to do to behave as if we have free will, right? Okay, let's see what the incompatibilists say. If we agree that determini determinism is true and that we don't control the universe or the laws of physics, then it's not possible to control any higher level phenomenon either. Hmm. Hmm. So higher level phenomenon, I would say that's our consciousness, right? Our consciousness. And, and let me just say this too. All right. Going off on another tangent. If we don't have free will, what do we have? We have our ability to observe. And that's what, correct me if I'm wrong, the Buddhists uh, uh, point is, right, to observe the thoughts. And as many times um, I've seen a lot of, when I first got on social media, I forgot who posted this. Oh, I forgot. I think he was a rapper, um, an old school rapper. But he basically said a lot of the thoughts that we have is not our thoughts. Think about that. Think about that. A lot of the thoughts that we have is not even our thoughts. It could be. It could be thoughts from ancestors. It could be thoughts from our parents, aunts, uncles, etc., etc. 
right? And the only thing we do have is our ability to observe everything that's going on. So that's more so um, a Buddhist perspective. And I, I, I definitely still look at the Buddhist philosophy as, you know, a great um, self-help philosophy or uh, a, a good philosophy on how to perceive because and here's another tangent i think that the more you study the more you read the more you need something to anchor you to not even just reality but because reality i guess you can say it's subjective to society i think that we do need to be anchored to society and i think that when we go overboard with the philosophy and i've seen many people you know people that i used to know they'll go overboard with one philosophy or another they'll go overboard with uh uh buddhism and this is why this podcast is called bad buddhism because i used to really 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 be into the buddhist philosophy not necessarily a monk or one that sits um lotus style and all that stuff but i really studied buddhism to the point where i'm just like oh a lot of this is not practical in society. Like you can't really, you can't really apply all of this in the society that we're living in now. That's why this podcast is called Bad Buddhism because I was just like, nah, I can't, I can't go. Um, not saying that Buddhism says that you have to do this, but no, nah, I can't live in a monastery or I can't stop desiring, and um, you know, or I don't even care about. I don't even care about that. I don't even care about. Um, not desiring or desiring not to desire whatever the case may be like at some point i just said okay this is you know i learned what i need to learn from this and i'm going to move on from it unfortunately some people try to take eastern philosophy and apply it to a western world and it just doesn't work it just doesn't work because eastern philosophy correct me if i'm wrong came out of eastern society and that philosophy it's is is tailor made and built for that 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 society but it is a good way i guess to look at some basic practical uh aspects of life such as our thoughts these higher level phenomenon you can't control your thoughts your thoughts just come and go you don't know where they come from right and also um alan watts ooh alan watts is a good a good person i wish i'd pulled up some of his work so that I can read about his perspectives on free will. But one of the things I do remember Alan Watts saying is you do not know where your decisions come from, right? You do not know where your decisions come from. The next time you make a decision, try to trace it back, right? It's it's like, a, uh, and it's another Alan Watts uh, analogy. It's like a ship with a, with a wake, right? You look at the wake of a ship and you see that it fizzles out at some point. Right. You know that the ship is the cause of the wake. Right. But then when you go and trace it back, it fizzles out at some point. Or if you trace your ancestry, I've always found this experiment, this thought experiment to be really, really cool. If you you have two parents. Right. Hopefully, like hopefully you didn't come out of a, a you know, a test tube or you didn't randomly spawn out of nowhere. Um, or if you did, then that's. That's cool, because if anybody's listening to this in the in the in the future, in the future, that might be the case. There might be people that are spawning out of test tubes and stuff like that. But I'm getting off track. Um, 
Oh, do we already have that? Huh, I don't know. Anyway, let's let's move on. Let's move on. I'm getting off on a tangent. Um, this experiment that you as a person have two parents and your parents have parents, right? Each of your parents have a set of parents. Each of your parents' parents have a set of parents. Each of your parents' parents' parents have a set of parents. So you can just go all the way back and you'll find that you're probably related. You're related to everybody. You know, it's that weird, it's that weird thing. I don't know where that tangent came from but let's move on to the second point if you could have if if you could not have done otherwise for any previous decision because determinism is true then you also cannot do otherwise for your next decision what okay let's read that again if you could not have done otherwise for any previous decision okay i think i get that because determinism is true then you also cannot do otherwise for your next decision oh that one that's a double bind right there that locks you into an existential crisis because then you're 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 caught between you know oh i didn't make my last decision of my own volition under my own volition oh i won't make my next decision under my own volition so where does that lead you hmm. next just because we experience making choices doesn't mean that's happening we also experience the color red or being filled with the Holy Spirit. And these things don't exist independently from being experienced by someone. Hmm. That's kind of like the, um, the the philosophical question. If a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? My opinion is that no, it doesn't make a sound because what is sound? Sound is something that we labeled vibrations that is perceptible by the human ear and within the human ear there's a limitation to which frequencies we can hear right that's why there's such thing as a dog whistle dogs can hear it but humans can't hear it i've been saying dog whistle a lot but dog whistles are perceptible by a dog's nervous system so the whole point about the tree falling in the forest and not making a point is if there isn't a nervous system around to perceive the sound, um, well, or to perceive the vibrations as sound, then it doesn't exist, right? Yeah, and we're getting real philosophical in this one, man. Real philosophical in this one. Okay, so the next point for incompatibilists. We have already shown in numerous studies that humans can be made to think that they made a decision on their own when the outcome was externally generated and the human can't tell the difference. Hmm. That's exactly the point I am trying to make when I say that. That's 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 it right there for me. When it comes to when I said that we don't have free will and, and what I said in my notes. We don't have free will because everything that has happened up until now has informed our decisions. Place of birth, parents, astrology, race, sex, etc. We live in a container that's constantly acting on us and we are only limited to the permutations of the decisions that exist because of a finite set of variables we are, are we aren't conscious of so that's 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 that right there with number 4 you know we can't tell the difference we can't tell the difference um as to whether we made a decision or not and that decision was externally generated oh i'm loving this discussion Loving this discussion. 
Last point for incompatibilists. Believing in free will justifies the concepts of reward, blame, and punishment and negates any requirement to explore the physical, biological, and environmental causes of undesirable behavior. Ooh, that sounds like, um, that sounds like, uh, get, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like, um, like psychotherapy, psychology. That sounds like a lot of science stuff right there. Sounds like a lot of physics. I'll read that again. Believing in free will justifies the concepts of reward, blame, and punishment and negates any requirement to explore the physical, biological, and environmental causes of undesirable behavior. We see this in the courts, right, where a psychologist, if somebody commits some heinous act, a psychologist will come in and, and give a psyche vow. Right. If I guess um, I don't know how it works. I don't know if the the lawyer, the lawyer for the de the defendant or what have you, the person that committed the crime that's on trial. Um, I don't know if they request that or or whatever. I don't know how it works, but there's a psyche vow given. And if that person is deemed to be mentally, you know, um, unfit for trial. You know, I guess there's a certain way that things go. Correct me if I'm wrong, lawyers. I don't know. Um, but basically, uh, a plea of insanity or saying that the person was insane, the person wasn't in their quote unquote right mind, you know. So I guess that's kind of a real world example of how the problem of free will is pervasive in something as tangible as the judicial branch in society and in, in, in law, right? Very, very interesting. And that's in um that's in America. Speaking from an American perspective, which is, is very, very interesting, right? Believing in free will justifies the concepts of reward, blame, and punishment and negates any requirement to explore the physical, biological, and environmental causes of undesirable behavior. Environmental causes of undesirable behavior. So that I would say that right there, if you were gonna talk politics, we can say that that is the argument against a lot of i guess conservative minded or right wing type of thought pull yourself up by the bootstraps um you know how can someone pull themselves up by the bootstraps if um i believe i don't know if aoc said i don't think she said this but if you don't have boots to begin with how are you gonna pull yourself up by the bootstraps and that may be caused by the fact that you've been born into um uh an impoverished like what I said in my notes, a place of birth, depending on where you're born, you know, a lot of things <laughs> could go left or right. You know, you don't you don't know because it's it's maybe born into a, a, a violent. If you're born into a violent um, society, for instance, if you're born in the inner, inner city. Um, and, you know, there's violence all around you and you got to carry a gun. And then you get arrested and then you're, you're just going down a whole rabbit hole, a whole track of, of fuckery because you were just trying to defend yourself. And you trying to defend yourself is a mechanism of self-preservation that's built into the, 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 the human biology. Right. So it even says it negates any requirement to explore the physical, biological and environmental causes of undesirable behavior. We see that biological and environmental causes are linked when it comes to um coming from the inner city 
right? Me coming from the inner city, I used to walk around with a, a weapon all the time. I used to walk around with a knife all the time, you know, to defend myself. And I used to get into fights, you know, I would, I would say not all the time, but I got into a good amount of fights defending myself, right? So that that right there with free will, I guess that's, I, I at this point in my life where I do, or I did say, hey, you do have the, you do have the free will to get up off your ass and go do something with yourself. But there's a lot of people who can't do that either physically or mentally because their, 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 their brain chemistry is not, you know, up to the task. You know, like I say all the time, I'm lucky to have the brain chemistry that I do because, you know, adversity is not something that my brain can't tolerate. You know what I'm saying? There's some people who, whose brains cannot tolerate adversity because they don't know. And, and with with adversity and getting through adversity, you have to be able to orient yourself properly. And if you can't orient yourself properly, you know, due to maybe, uh, you know, a physical problem with the, with your brain chemistry, a chemical problem, what have you, then how do you expect somebody to make something of their life? Right. And that's the argument that a lot of um, left leaning people have or liberal people have. Um, you know, I guess that's the gist of it. You know, we need to help people out, you know, where it's due. Right. And this is the beautiful thing about the podcast that I'm th this podcast, because I'm literally kind of like going through my thought processes with you guys on how. Um on how I'm coming up with these type of of, of uh, philosophies or perspectives, if you will. All right. Okay. So Daniel Miesler goes on to say, until a couple of years ago, I listed myself firmly among the incompatibilists. I don't know. Maybe I'll get I'll get there someday. I feel like I'm in the incompatibilist section, but sometime I might dither uh, back and forth between being a compatibilist and an incompatibilist. Right. But right now I'm leaning more towards incompatibilist. And there's some situations where I'm more compatibilist. Sometimes it's more it's it's easier, I guess, to imagine that we have free will within no free will or to imagine that we have free will, despite knowing in the back of your mind or despite knowing in the back of my mind that there is no free will or thinking that there is no free will. So he has a poll quote here. Let me see. It seems obvious to me that once a choice was made in the past in a mechanistic world, then each outcome unfolds the only way it could have gone. And since we're talking about determinism, we don't have any control of the variables. From there, it's an easy move to see that all your future choices are exactly the same. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. He says, that's open and closed for me. And it's why I'm still also an incompatibilist. <laughs> okay. Um, so he's still an incompatibilist. I, I say also, quote unquote, because incompatibilism isn't enough. What I've come to learn is that the problem with incompatibilism is not that it's wrong, but that it's incomplete. It insists on prioritizing the abstracted world of quirks, atoms, and molecules instead of the human world we actually live in. That's a great that's a great way to put it, because we can I think 
I think what this is saying right here is, okay, the problem with incompatibilism is that we have the human experience and then we have the neurophysiological experience that is separate from the human experience. The so human experience being your first person perspective on the decisions that you make based off of the observations that you make based off of the resources that are available to you at the time. So the other the other hand is the world of what he says quarks, atoms and molecules. So we know that quarks, atoms and molecules, those are the building blocks of life, right? Those are the things that animate us. Just like pixels are responsible for the screen that I'm looking at, the pixels being lit up in different um in different positions and the resolution of the screen all of these things come down to how i perceive and what i perceive but at its base the pixels that's depicting what we're seeing is separate from what i'm experiencing right if that makes any sense so now we have the neurophysiological problem. We know brain, we, we have brain chemistry. We have the dopamine response um, system, the, the, the reward and punishment response and all that stuff. And that's, that's imperceptible to the average human, right? Like people that get experimented on, they know that they participate in an experiment. Sometimes, um, you know, people may be participating in an experiment that they don't know they're participating in, you know, unfortunately, whether it's a legit experiment or um, or whether it's one that's, I guess, uh, brought in front of a IRB institutional review board, I believe that's my uh, psychology degree popping up right there. But, yeah, that's a good point. So basically it is there, there's two ways we can look at that. It's the world of physics and the world of the human conscious experience, right? And consciousness, that's another problem too. He goes on to say, and that's the point some compatibilists have been making all along, right? And he lists um, uh, a quote by Marvin Edwards. Here's a great example by Marvin Edwards. A man chops down some trees and builds a house with a fireplace to survive the cold winter. Why are the trees gone? Why is there a house now? We can't find the answers in chemistry and physics. We have to move from physics and chemistry to biology before we can make sense of what has happened and why. The man's own need to survive is the reason. The man's own muscles chopped down the trees. The man's own mind conceived the house and made countless decisions as to its design and construction as he built it. Without the purpose that came with the man, the trees would still be there. And there would be no house. No one can dispute this. And if the trees came from the small apple orchard in your backyard that you were tending to support your family, you would hold the man responsible for your loss. This is reality. Yeah, that is reality. That is definitely reality. That is reality. Hmm. I think I could just end the, 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 the segment there. Because we see how compatibilism and incompatibilism reconcile one another because incompatibilism is incomplete on its own. It only deals with one aspect of the um 
of which whatever you want to call this of existence or reality and it's the 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 just the rote building blocks the tangible the, the the tangibleness if you will of the universe and it doesn't take into consideration the sort of the 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 software that is the human mind right and then we have the problem of asking ourselves is the human mind emergent of the brain or of the universe the universe being the hardware is it emergent of that or is it something else or is the universe uh emergent of the mind which one came first the chicken or the egg man getting deep on this one um he goes on to say daniel meisler goes on to say this passage is the most powerful attack on incompatibilism that i've ever seen of course, the configuration of the universe is actually responsible for those trees coming down. Of course, the human is just a configuration of quarks. And of course, the person who removed the trees had no free will. As it turns out, though, this reality usually doesn't matter in a world where humans build houses and need trees to feed families. But as strong as this argument is, it still doesn't make me want to be a compatibilist. And nor should it for anyone else. Compatibilism would be fine if we were just saying quote unquote, we know free will doesn't exist, but we think we should mostly behave as if it does. Yeah, I thought that's what compatibilism was saying too. He goes on with a pull quote here that says, compatibilism would be more correct if they were just saying that we should behave as if we have free will, even though we don't. But that's not what they're saying. Yeah, he just requoted it. So he goes on to say what they're saying is that free will is compatible with determinism. It's the actual definition of compatibilism. They're saying we actually have free will. And that's precisely what leads us to this paradox. Incompatibilism is not false, but rather incompatible with practical human existence. And compatibilism is technically flawed because we cannot have chosen otherwise in a deterministic world. So what we're left with is quite literally an absurd human experience. And that's exactly where me and my friend got a little bit, uh, I guess, weirded out by what this thing is, what this human experience is, right? Okay, so I don't know. I'm not going to go. You could read the rest of this article if you want, but because it's a long-ass article. But I'm going to, yeah, maybe... I'm going to read this quote right here. The reason the compatibilist versus incompatibilist debate has continued without a victor is due to the foundational disconnect between reality and human experience. Yes, there is a disconnect between reality, actuality and human experience. Right. And here he says, and yet we must live on. We must rebel. We must embrace the unique and beautiful experiences that we have as human beings and pretend as if it were. If we are their authors, we must work to better ourselves despite knowing it's all a charade. There's an Alan Watts video. I think I can, I'm going to gonna see if I could pull that up. Alan Watts talks about that, too. And I wonder if Daniel Meisler ever heard of Alan Watts. Um, why is the it's a video on YouTube called Why the Urge to Improve Yourself? I'm just going to save that here because I want to I want, you know, if you're interested you guys to watch that because i watched that video a while back and that was something that made me think why the urge to improve yourself hmm he says daniel Binsa says 
Let me see. We must work to better ourselves despite knowing soul charade. Why must we do this? Why must we pretend? Because knowingly pretending is our best option. We could lie in bed and do nothing, or we could be murderous thieves because at some abstract level of reality, there's no such thing as pain and suffering. But we live here in this reality, in the world of the absurd. Here it does matter. And here I choose to do my best. Here I choose to fight. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, although I'm more of an incompatibilist, I would rather, like the quote said, pretend, I guess, pretend as if we do have free will. And I think that is the human experience, you know, because what would we be if we didn't have the ability to pretend? And I think maybe the ability to pretend or the pretending is why a lot of um, I guess um, I, Alan Watts said this, and I think a lot of uh, Buddhists and um, Zen Buddhists um, build on this this perception, too, is that we're the aperture through which the universe is observing itself, which is very interesting. Each one of us, each eight billion humans on the planet and to a large, large extent, the rest of the species that exists in this whole universe it's with these species, these individual organisms, these cells, we are the apertures through which the universe is experiencing itself. Hmm. Very interesting. So, yeah, that's just to wrap that topic up. That was deep. And I'm, I know I'm still not done with the, the, the discussion of free will. So you could tell me what you think. Send an email to Anthony at Anthony blog. Or I think uh, Anchor does a little thing where you can uh, send in a message. And, you know, if you guys are not shy, I'll start including responses into the podcasts themselves. That should be interesting. But our next topic, we're going to be talking about censorship. We're going to be talking more about censorship and why I think it's ridiculous for people to get mad that platforms are banning people that may or may not be inciting violence on the low. So we'll be right back. Lately I've been low losing all control. Henny with the soda. I've been on a roll. I've been taking toll. I just wanna roam. I've been running from them bad days. Trying to take it slower. Party on occasion, that should eat the weight off my shoulders, yeah I said we only getting older, yeah and Tell me, are you coming over? I need to know Is you falling through? Tell me what the move is Girl, it's been a cool minute, yeah I just wanna know Tell me what's the hold up Wanna get to know ya Girl, I wanna show ya yeah, That I've got all the things you need from me I wanna hear you say you still believe And we're back Okay So We're gonna be talking more about censorship And The last episode I said that If I said that if you think that Social media sites and these tech platforms Are censoring you that's not the case. That's not the case. I, I don't believe that's the case because 
you're more than free and we were just talking about free will in the last segment <laughs> um or maybe you're not free to go to another platform you can just take your ball and go play somewhere else right and the reason why i'm saying that it's a very and i know a lot of people don't agree with that a lot of people do believe that we're you know we're under the um we're under the uh the 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 power or under the gun of these these social sites or these tech companies to censor us but that's i think because we don't go outside to play anymore right we're we're all on the virtual world we're all in the virtual world we're all in right we're we're on instagram we're on facebook we're on medium we're on whatsapp we're on signal telegram twitter all tiktok snapchat we have all of these sites that our world is immersed in so i was listening to or not really listening to or yeah i was listening to this video by someone on youtube one of the many people that's complaining about this censorship stuff right and they were basically saying that oh this is censorship this is censorship this is censorship you know when you ban people off the platform and censorship the the situation with donald trump that is and all the other um i guess quote-unquote conservative people that were censored by these tech companies and stuff um they just kept saying that censorship and then it was you know fear-mongering and saying that it's a slippery slope is it a slippery slope it might be a slippery slope it might be a slippery slope you know it might be a slippery slope where a lot of these companies have so much uh reach that they'll start shutting down people's uh i guess bank accounts people's uh the way the way these people collect money like i've seen an article and i'm gonna list that article here um it's called america's new corporate tyranny i'm gonna list that in the description too but i'm not gonna get too heavy into it i'm only gonna focus on one uh, specific aspect i was about to say pacific what the heck <laughs> i can't talk I'm only going to focus on one specific aspect of why I don't think this is censorship. And yeah, but this article, um, America's New Corporate Tyranny basically says, yeah, we're going on a slippery slope where people, uh, where social media companies or tech companies can start um, banning people's, uh, shutting down people's banks, you know, keeping people from working and all of this stuff. Right. And although that's a bit that's that's taking it a bit far that's taking it a bit far but in but in reality could that happen maybe 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 it might but when you link you know specific statements made by specific public figures you know with in real life physical violence right that involves government buildings etc cetera, etc cetera, then you have a problem then you have a problem then we have to say hmm hmm this is a problem we need to um actually uh we need to address this we need to we need to uh we need to really look at this and i read a few articles where um uh twitter jack dorsey basically you know said he was kind of like well not even said, but the article said that, um, and I guess a few of his tweets, you know, said the same thing. 
he was kind of like uh, iffy about the, the the suspension and banning of Donald Trump's uh, social media uh, platform, his uh, his account, right? I mean, I guess that's a good show of you know staying consistent with policies for the platform and all of that stuff which he mentioned, you know, staying consistent with, you know, how the, you know, the progressive, I guess, quote unquote, we used to call it progressive discipline or where I used to work progressive discipline is. But um, the point is that a lot of people think that that shouldn't have happened. And at first, you know, when I first heard about it, I thought that that shouldn't have been the case too, because I think that there should be open expression, open communication of ideas and exchange of ideas and stuff like that but it's difficult when those ideas and those exchange of ideas are spreading misinformation and are spreading violence or inciting violence and me as a i'm speaking from the perspective of a person that spent six years in leadership where people hung on to every word that i said and the way that i said it and the inflections that i used and the facial expressions that i use and the nonverbal communication that i use all of these things play a role when leaders are saying certain things, right? Whether it's left wing, whether it's right wing, because there's a lot of people on the left also that say a bunch of things that can be, you know, interpreted in a multitude of ways. But that's what uh, social media is. Social media and uh, technology in general shuts down, um, uh, uh, shuts down maybe a, a majority of our senses. And all we have is our, you know, our sight and 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 our our um and our hearing right so um when it comes to perceiving messages so the point that i want to make is and the point that i want to really focus on is section 230 right if you never heard of it what is section 230 we're going to talk about what section 230 is section 230 is a part and i'm reading this from this article from cbs news what is Section 230 and why do many lawmakers want to repeal it? Uh, here we go. So, yeah, let's just start from the beginning of the article. Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act helped create the modern Internet. Now the regulation is at the center of a high stakes political battle that could help that could reshape how we use social media, mobile apps and the open web. President Donald Trump and some Republicans in Congress have pushed to repeal the law, while big tech CEOs have signaled support, it, support for modifying it, although no one can agree on how. Here's what you need to know about the controversial law, its flaws, and why the prospect of killing it off in a fell swoop worries experts. Ooh, yeah, that worries experts. And this article was written in December 16, 2020. Why it worries experts. And here's another thing. That's what I wanted to say in this podcast that I find really ironic with a lot of people that are saying that these big tech um, companies are censoring people and what needs to be done about it. I've heard one person say that the tech companies need to be regulated or something to some extent so that this type of censorship can't happen. First of all, I want to ask how, how, how. And these are right wing people that saying this. Right. Typically conservative right wing people that believe in a free and open market. Right. They believe in a free and open market, but they want the government to regulate private businesses that you have a choice to use or not use. I'm confused. I don't get that. 
I don't get that. And I think this is going to be my last political podcast because I don't like talking about politics because I start sounding like an asshole. And I don't want to sound like an asshole, at least not from a political perspective. But how you are a right wing type of person. Right. And I'm guessing there's left wing people that think about that think like this, too. But I'm noticing that the people that's more outspoken about it are typical uh, right wing type of people. How do you say and you're for small government and a free and open market, but you want that government to regulate these private companies? Right. And a lot of right wing people already complain about government intervention and regulation and giving out money and all that stuff. Right. And I guess, you know, the government. Yeah. You know, the government's supposed to be working for the people and not the other way around and stuff like that. But it's people that built these companies. Right. These private companies. Right. And maybe maybe I'm right. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Is that am I getting it wrong about right wing people, conservative type people? Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe I'm putting everyone into one basket. And again, that's the problem with politics, because I don't think there's any way that anybody can take the complexity that is reality and society. And then you throw in technology and then you start placing yourself in a liberal basket or progressive basket or a um, or a. Uh, conservative basket left wing right wing basket like i think that's is that's betraying the complexity and the nuance of what it means to be human in society because things are constantly changing right so you have people that saying that there has to be some type of regulation for these companies okay the regulation is section 230 right so section 230 let's read it again Section 230 is part of the Communications Decency Act, a 1996 law and itself part of the Telecommunications Act of the same year that regulated online pornography. Specifically, specifically, Section 230 provides legal immunity from liability for Internet services and users for content posted on the Internet. Right. So here we let's read some more. The regulation states no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Yikes. So there's people that want to to repeal Section 230, right? I don't know if it's the same people that are on YouTube talking about tech company needs regulation and all that stuff. But I think that that is the regulation when again, let's read it again. The regulation states no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Okay. And if you read the next article that I have here, America's new corporate tyranny, which basically um, states that Section 230 should be repealed and these social media websites should be treated as if they are publishers. Um, uh, that's just kind of ugly. That's only going to make censorship worse because if I'm understanding this correctly, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I might, I might be wrong. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just providing my opinion on this and using my uh, brain cells to try to put two and two together, Right. Let's continue reading to see if my implication is right. Let's start with my let's start with my 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 um my hypothesis. My hypothesis is if Section 230 is repealed, 
everything that you post on these platforms are going to be manually reviewed by social media um by social media people as per their lawyer's request because they're going to make sure that the companies are protected like they don't want to get sued you know so you have this 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 i think if i'm understanding this correctly and i'm going to post the actual where section 230 is written on the internet or whatever the actual legislation and this is united states by the way so if you're listening in other countries this is a united states issue or united states thing because most of these tech companies are in the united states right so the thing here is these companies if you reach, if you repeal section 230 these companies will act basically as basically online magazines now online uh, publishers or what have you and it only it's only going to make censorship worse right so we're going to keep reading because i'm getting off track right um what that means oh that's what i wanted to say because i got off track i think section 230 definitely opened up um um opened up the gateway because before you had a lot of these gatekeepers on the radio that would play the same five songs over and over and over again which is understandable if you play uh if you pay the radio station to play your song like whoever got the most money is pay to play whoever got the most money shit you know they're gonna hear you're gonna you're gonna hear their songs over and over and over again whoever got the most pull you're gonna hear the same songs over and over and over again yo it wasn't until the internet started hitting some sort of maturity that i started my brand and and taste in music started to change sadly i used to just listen to mainly um jazz hip-hop um and what else and r&b like that's all i used to listen to right those three things and then when the internet started becoming more mature i started getting exposed to other brands of music and music started to change as well because everybody's starting to hear different types of music it's no longer the radio that's telling you what to listen to you got um you got different forms of of of, of blends and genres coming to light and again I don't, I don't again i'm not a lawyer i don't know if that's necessarily what two, section 230 uh covered or what have you but it's one of the things that allowed for the internet to the internet as we know it social media web 2.0 as some people call it to flourish right and you'll see in the uh, the, the the article america's new corporate tyranny they don't really i guess they mentioned that they didn't really like that too much about how you know uh, the social media tech companies got a uh, a free pass and and, uh, and a lot of things such as tax breaks and a lot of stuff just by putting e on the front of it. And he said, and this I'm switching over to this article. I'm gonna have to start doing a video version of these so you can see me switching back and forth between these articles. He said, um, I'm gonna read a little excerpt from this article: America's new corporate tyranny. Putting an e in front of something for electronic. Ooh, electronic provided a get out of regulation or taxation free card in the era of Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton and their neoliberal and libertarian successors. Amazon isn't a retailer that should collect and pay tax, pay state sales tax. It is e-commerce. Uber isn't a tax company subject to taxing to taxi company regulations. It's a tech company. If an online payday lender charges three thousand percent annual interest the government shouldn't do anything about it because it's fintech 
<laughs> I'm sorry, that paragraph was super funny. But I mean, yeah, I I don't think tech should be heavily regulated, or at least in the early stages, so that it can grow. If you regulate something too much, it's not going to grow. You're gonna have but so much avenues that the, that that company can go and it can't grow it can't innovate and obviously what we're seeing here is um, i'm guessing that i guessing a lot of people would agree is that you know a lot of these companies are having too much power now Woo, right i get it but i don't think as what some people argue and i say everybody i don't think repealing section 230 would be a great idea which what that article kind of like hints to right so let's continue reading what this means in practice is that internet companies, everything from social media platforms to online retailers to news sites are generally not liable if a user posts something illegal. Backers of two, Section 230 credit in part for the success of companies like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, which depend on vast amounts of user-generated content. See, it goes to the thing I was saying about music. Go back to the point I was making about music. YouTube has really exposed me to a lot of different versions of music. And if that's not becoming of some of you, I'm sorry, but YouTube has put me on to so many different types of music, classical, rock, um, what's that other, synth wave, I think is one of them, um, shit, man, so much different types of music I was put on to, so much different information I was put on to, but there's some people that think that, look, if you want to regulate the tech, the tech companies, fine. And especially for the content creators listening to this, fine. The best way to regulate these social media companies is just repeal Section 230. Now, since these social media companies are being so political or there's so much political discussion is being made and people are saying certain things on there that supposedly these social media companies don't agree with and yada, yada, yada. Fine. Repeal Section 230. And now these social media companies can act like publishers. But but. The issue is that censorship is going to be real now. Like it's really going to be, it's gonna really going to be real. First of all, I think that would be a, a government's way of censoring people if, you, if, if they repeal Section 230, right? In an inadvertent way of censoring people online because now you don't have, now you don't have um, that free and open way to post content and you might have to use your real name when you start posting these contents. I mean, these companies already know your real name, etc. But if you wanna, you, if you wanna write under a pseudonym, or if you wanna post videos under a pseudonym, or make podcasts under a pseudonym, no, you can't do that. Now you gotta use your real name. Your content is gonna be up for review, and now a lot of people are not gonna be able to get their message out. Now it's gonna be even worse. So I don't have the answer to how to quote unquote regulate these tech companies into not supposedly censoring people or whatever. But I do think that people should read the terms of service. You know, I know nobody reads the terms of service. I don't read the TOS, but this is one of the reasons why I don't talk politics and all this other stuff because it gets too murky. I mean, there's also the problem that a lot of people, content creators are not getting the love that they used to get in views, money, sponsorships, because they're not getting the draw or the reach that they once had before because these algorithms switch up all the time. And I explained in, I think, the other podcast that some of these algorithms cater to, um, I guess, things that are more outrageous, sensationalist, things that will get people to click, clickbaity. 
I know that medium.com is working against the whole clickbaity thing. And that's one of the reasons why I like that site, even though it's turning into this uh, weird thing where everybody is like, you know, life coaches and personal development gurus and stuff like that. But anyway, um, yeah, let's continue with this article. I don't want to get off topic too much. Quote, it's part of the architecture of the modern Internet, quote, said David Green, senior staff attorney and civil liberties director for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Everything you do online depends on it. I'm you look, I don't I can't see any other way that that I agree. I can't see any other way. I can't see any other way. Let's let's read on. Before Section 230 became law, Internet services were required to be aware of and responsible for everything on their sites. The existing law could not scale to meet the needs of the Internet in 1996 and certainly wouldn't scale today, Green said. See, I don't exactly. These technology, a lot of people don't understand. Technology is moving at it is growing at such a rapid rate that these laws cannot keep up with it. So, yeah, it's easy to say, oh, censorship. But, yo, this law. This law, if this law didn't come into play, none of y'all would be posting any content. And then it would be the same. Maybe that was, that maybe that should have been the case. Maybe that should have been the case. Maybe these companies, yeah, maybe they should have been regulated as if they were magazines and stuff. Maybe that should have been the case. You know, I, I honestly, I don't think that these companies intended to even be... Um, now, now we're seeing what it is. I don't think these companies necessarily intended to be something where people post like they didn't intend to. I guess what it's seeming like now is, is like people call Facebook, um, not Facebook, people call Medium a left wing or a liberal mouthpiece or something like that. I don't know. Or did these companies intend to be that way or tw in Twitter? Did these companies intend to be that way? I don't know. I, I'm not I, did, I wasn't in the Silicon Valley world and all this stuff was starting up. But now that we're thinking, now that we're looking at it, it looks like these companies were just meant to be big uh, ad products. Like, I think that's what it mainly was, like mainly intended to be, unless I'm wrong. They call it social media, you know, or social networking. But it seems like the point was to create a huge ad product that is um, based off of um of user-generated data, your psychometrics, your clicks, and all that stuff, and then they sell the the attention, sell your attention to an and 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 advertise um, to a company for advertising, just like how TV was, right? Maybe it needs to be regulated. Maybe Section Thirty needs to be repealed, and then now nobody can post any content. There's only going to be a vast few. It's going to make it even worse. I think it would make it even worse. First of all, I don't think that's even possible at this point being at seeing as the way that these tech companies have grown and they've gotten used to the ad revenue or whatever else they're doing so i don't even think that's possible secondly i would disagree with it because now none of us could post anything that we want to post without it being reviewed manually and our message won't be won't be out there i wouldn't even you wouldn't be hearing my voice i don't think because then i think anchor is is um anchor is owned by is a spotify company is owned by spotify spotify would have to review all 30 plus hours however many hours i have probably 60 hours worth of of material that i've spoken they have to review everything i mean of course you could probably use algorithms but the problem with algorithms is that they're not that smart they're smart but they're not that smart you can program it to recognize certain keywords and those keywords 
might be taken out of context and then yeah, your shit ends up getting banned. And it, I think we're already seeing that now with a lot of different um, with a lot of different pl platforms as is, you know. Anyway, let's continue reading. Why does Section 230 draw criticism? Critics, including Mr. Trump, accuse tech firms of effectively using Section 230 as a shield to disguise what amounts of politically partisan act shield to disguise what amounts to particularly partisan activity. Republican lawmakers allege that conservative voices are censored when tech platforms ban users for breaking site rules, like when YouTube removed Alex Jones account for glorifying hate speech. You know, it's the craziest thing. You know, the craziest thing about this is that they use Alex Jones. <laughs> they use Alex Jones as an example. Right. Right. Republican lawmakers allege that conservative voices are censored when tech platforms ban users for breaking site rules. Like when YouTube removed Alex Jones' account for glorifying hate speech. That's a weird little sentence because they put Alex Jones and Republican in the same sentence. But um, the funniest thing about this is that I, it's Alex Jones, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about him. He says the most outlandish, craziest things. Like, I don't know. He says some crazy stuff, right? And that needs to be under scrutiny. Right. And I don't know what the glorifying hate speech thing is. Let's click that. Infowars. Now, nah, let's go back. Yeah, I need to get the video ver video version so that you can get the video version of this podcast pop and get the um, put it on post it on YouTube so you guys can see what I'm doing. Um, but. I don't know, it's always the most outlandish examples. Like these guys, are just, I don't know. Anyway, let me move on from that. I don't really know what to say about that. Green said Section 230 has little to do with censorship and allows private Internet companies to selectively edit which content and users they want on their platform. Section 230 has nothing to do with any intermediary adopting an ideological viewpoint, he said, noting that researchers have, who have studied Internet censorship don't see much evidence of political bias in big platforms. In fact, their right to curate their sites is guaranteed by the First Amendment. Hmm. I mean, isn't that what we want? Don't we want um don't we want our First Amendment rights to be respected? I mean, if you start a company, you know, you'd want to you you have the right to curate your sites as you want to, right? I mean, that's business, right? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I, I don't ideological viewpoints. I don't know if there's any biases. Uh, maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I see. I did a little experiment like with all of this craziness that's been going on over the past four years. And most of my friends and family, they're more left wing people. You know, that's all I see on my timeline, a bunch of left wing stuff. So I intentionally started following many different people across many different um, across the, the spectrum of politics. And then I started to see a mix, a mixture of different viewpoints. And I can't say and that's across Instagram and that's across Twitter. And I can't say that, you know, one one social media site is more left or conservative than the other. In my opinion, I haven't tried. But you know what? You know what? With the censoring and all that stuff, quote unquote censoring and people getting kicked off the site, 
And I think I, have, I would have to look at the content as to what got these people booted from the site. It has caused, and this was my concern before, it has caused people to literally start making these um, really, started making these really weird pockets of um, of places on the internet that's, uh, you know, unbecoming. But um, I can't say that any of these sites that I use are more left wing or more right wing than a, than 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 another, right? Or particularly adopt a specific ideology is what I want to say. What I think is happening is something called an echo chamber. If you are if you are in an echo chamber, you're going to start to see a lot of your own ideologies and viewpoints come up on the feed, right? And then what you're going to obviously see is you're going to start arguing in the comment sections with people. And then and this is what I think is happening. I think a lot of people get so crazy over politics. And again, this is why I don't talk, talk about politics. And I'm talking about it now, which I don't want to be doing really. But I have a point to prove is that you get so embroiled in your, your, your echo chamber and these comment section brawls that you end up saying some wacky stuff that ends up getting you reported and booted. I think that's what's going on, but I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm open for discussion. Anyway, let me see. What happens when someone tries to sue an internet company? Social media firms have flourished under the regulation because it doesn't require companies to know about illegal or harmful content posted by users. Arguments like you knew there was a problem or you should have known there was a problem don't work in lawsuits because Section 230 simply does not address a defendant's knowledge of illegal content. However, there's only tr that's only true for civil cases. Section 230 does not protect platforms in criminal cases or in cases involving copyright claims, sexual exploitation of children, and sex crimes work. The Department of Justice also recently proposed legislation that would make it easier for ordinary citizens to sue social media firms. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Next section. Could social media survive without 230? This is the interesting. This is the interesting. This is the interesting part that I'm going to read that caught my attention. Without Section 230, most experts agree it would be hard for startups and new tech firms to enter the online market because they would face high legal costs and liability risks up. Oh, exactly. That like you wouldn't be able to start. This is what I was saying earlier with the regulation. You wouldn't be able to start up a tech company and think that you're going to be out there, you know, doing your thing, you know, growing all crazy and all that stuff. No, because now you're going to have to monitor everything that's posted on your site. Pretty much large Internet companies would evolve and survive, but function differently. Yep. Again, at this point, at this point, I think at this point. If Section 230 was repealed, yeah, the companies would be, they'll still survive, but they will definitely function different. Like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Medium, all these sites, now they would have to act as strictly as publishers. And um, what I found interesting, Medium had or has a curation process where you can put your articles up for curation where they basically curate the best work or what they deem to be the best work, right? And that's kind of like acting like a, 
a publisher and I guess it gets spread across the medium surfaces. So medium kind of within their own, I guess, rights, they act as sort of they act like a publisher and there's publications, many publications, user generated publications and also in-house publications by medium that also have publications and all of that different type of stuff. But medium is a very interesting platform. But um, I guess a lot of the sites, the social media sites like YouTube and Facebook, they'll start acting like more like public, more like medium, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. Green said companies like YouTube and Facebook would have to pre-scan all content or evaluate pre evaluate, pre-approve and micromanage users. Yeah, there is my point. I guess that's where my point was. I guess I didn't have to make this 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 section too long. I could have just went skipped right there and say there goes the regulation that you want, right? Just repeal section 230 and now companies like YouTube and Facebook would have to pre-screen all content or evaluate pre-approve and micromanage users. Now you're definitely censored. Goodbye, political organization, organizing, he said. Meanwhile, some social media sites could be subject to a new law called notice liability, meaning they're not liable for content they don't know about, but those systems are easily abused by trolls who complain loudly about content, Green said. It creates incentives for people who don't like the speech to just complain about it. It's just then much less expensive for an intermediate intermediary to delete the speech rather than investigate whether the complaint has any merit. You see, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I'm not saying that people are all all these people that's writing about this stuff and posting about it, which they're probably the content creators that's probably posting about this stuff is probably just posting about it to get the clicks and to move on because it's the hot thing to talk about right now. I'm interested in this because I'm always interested in when people bring up, oh, this is 1984, the George or this is Orwellian 1984 type stuff. Maybe and maybe not like. I don't know, but is it tied? Uh, is, is certain speech tied to violence in real life that's tangible that you can trace to tangible violence in real life? That's what we. That's what we're looking at right now. Are we not? Are we, we're not looking at the big tech companies keeping people from eating food? Like I don't know. I just think that it feels that way because so many people have moved. So many people have stopped to go. Stop going outside to play. Nobody goes out to play anymore. Everybody's is inside on their phones, on their 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 laptops, on their computers, screens. Look, I got three freaking screens right now. This is ridiculous. I have I've really you see my setup, it's ridiculous. I don't know why I have three screens, but I have three screens. We're all surrounded by screens. Right? That's all it is. We're surrounded by screens. We're engulfed into this virtual world. And rat look, rather than talking to you guys live, I'm recording and I'm gonna upload this later. It's like we're all in this virtual world. And we're and it's moving. Technology is moving much faster than we can even produce content, right? Technology is moving faster than we could produce content, and faster than we can even make the laws. For example, I was watching this video the other day, and somebody um, this video, this tech video, where this guy is basically explaining why he has large servers to make YouTube videos. And I think one of the things that came up, one of the topics that came up, I didn't watch the whole video. I had to go do something. But one of the topics that came up was about future proofing content where they would record videos in like this ultra 4K, I think like not even 4K, 8K, some ridiculous resolution. I even know 8K existed, but 8K and it's a really good resolution and 
it basically future proofs the content like it makes the content fresh for a very long time right so we don't even like with the way that these technologies are advancing we have to future proof our content with 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 the way that we're producing it also evergreen content in the writing world where people write these large articles these large pieces um that can stand the test of time good quality stuff that's another version of the way that we are kind of like trying to stay one step ahead of technology you know because we're now moving to long form well in some respects if you have the attention span long form discussions are a lot of people are 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 more um a lot of people listening to a lot of long form discussions a lot of people are reading a lot of long form content you know when they're on the train or whatever if people still ride the train with this pandemic going around right but in this section is there a way to compromise instead of scrapping section 230 entirely green thinks congress could devise a compromise that updates the law while also protecting speech online technology built the open internet and regulations like section 230 protect it but a compromise doesn't similarly shield web users and platforms but a compromise that doesn't similarly shield web users and platforms would fundamentally alter the internet as we know it today. Good point. It would have devastating implications for privacy because it would legally require internet firms to act as gatekeepers and track everything the user the users post, he said. You see, that's the problem. Again, we go back to that point of, oh, you can get what you want. Like if you want Section 230 to be repealed, fine. If you want the government to come in and regulate these companies, fine now you're having a problem with the government that's censoring or regulating over regulating social media and then that's another slippery slope where we're allowing government to regulate too much regulation in 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 government or with government right there are obviously some places a lot of places where government needs to step in and regulate because us humans we're very unpredictable creatures and we do amazing things and we do these amazing things have a way to get cancerous at some point these social media sites is an example social media has created avenues for people to make six figure seven figure eight figure incomes and build businesses on the top of these webs on these on these platforms where they couldn't have otherwise because you need startup costs like uh overhead costs like brick and mortar like you building a if you want to sell something on if you want to sell something here's an example you want to sell something if you wanted to sell something back in the 90s guess what you had to build it physically or sell it out your trunk maybe you needed a permit to do that even and do you want advertisement oh you have to go to a magazine or you would have to go on a um a radio show or something to promote your stuff or newspapers i don't know i didn't i grew up in the 90s but i was like a little kid so correct me if i'm wrong but on social media, I always talk about this with a lot of people who want to do anything at all. I always say, look, it's not perfect. I don't like being a user of social media unless I have something to promote, um, unless I'm talking to my friends. But other than that, you know, there's ways for people to build big companies. Like I always tell people, yo, you can start a clothing line on social media. All you need to do is start somewhere start like make a make an account and make an llc start you know making product p create content around that product figure it the fuck out social media is free and you know 
it being free it means that you're the you're the product but that's a topic we're not going to get into but yeah man i don't know that's all i really got to say about that if you want to regulate social media if you the, the point of this tldr should have put the tldr in the beginning if you want to regulate social media just repeal section 230 but just know you'll be shooting yourself in the foot too because now social media is definitely going to uh review everything that you post and your privacy goes out the window because you're gonna have to post with your real name probably gonna have to input your social security number and all that shit all of that stuff you know uh, i mean i don't know so let me see let me see let's read the last section breeze over are there risks to change in section 230 while flawed the section section 230 has been important for for more than two decades, it has allowed new companies to thrive and lets people express themselves online. Supporters say altering or removing 230 would likely have unknown and far-reaching consequences. You should care about 230 if you use online intermediaries, which is everyone, Green said. The same rule that might block threatening political speech would also apply to your, politi apply to your political speech along with photos of your kids that you want to share with your family. And that's, I don't know. I agree. I agree with that article. I agree with that article. Now, for the opposite viewpoint, because I like to try to be uh, fair, you can read this article, America's New Corporate Tyranny. The American political and legal systems are working just fine despite a few hiccups. Meanwhile, American corporations are depriving citizens of basic rights and freedoms and destroying our democracy. Okay, if you say so. I mean, I don't necessarily agree. I don't necessarily agree. But... You could read this article. I'm going to post this in the description. Um, I would say that the gist of this article is that they, they, want, they want social media to be regulated a little bit more. It's just by, uh, what's his name? His name is Michael Lind. Michael Lind is a professor of practice at the University of Texas at Austin. Go figure a columnist for Tablet and a fellow at New American. I mean, that's great. Professor, that's great. Professors usually have a, a really deep uh, perspective. So, yeah, um, you should check this article out. I'm going to be posting it in the description. I'm also going to post another description, another article in the description called Yes, We Should All Be Talking About Free Speech. The recent platform bans on Trump and his allies show us that times have changed dramatically and we need to modernize our discussion about freedoms, freedom of speech. I don't know why I read, <laughs> I read it like this. I read it like this. The recent platform bans on Trump and his allies show us that times have changed dramatically and we need to monetize our discussion about freedom of speech. I feel like that would be an appropriate subtitle for all of these points that a lot of people are making now about um, freedom of speech. I just think that it's the hottest thing to talk about right now. A lot of people are monetizing it. I don't monetize. My podcast is not monetized yet. So I'm not getting any benefit from necessarily talking about this except for sharing this insight with you, sharing ideas with you and, um, you know, my own uh, personal and intellectual development. So beyond that, I don't get nothing from that this but i think that this is something a lot of people are monetizing now i don't think it's a big deal yet yet and a lot of people might disagree but my thing is this get off of social media get off of the platforms that are supposedly censoring people no 
No, you're not going to do that. Why? Oh, because you don't have free will. Oh, oh, listen to my last segment on free will if you didn't. Um, but yeah, uh, that's all I really got to say. Um, if you have any responses, send me a voice message. I think they do the voice message thing on Anchor and I can save it, I think. And then I'll just include it in the next podcast and we can keep this discussion going. If not, uh, then you can write an email, Anthony at anthonyboyd.blog. And um, that's pretty much that. I think this is the longest podcast that I've done. An hour and 40 minutes. Anyway, I'll let you next time. Peace. <laughs>